0: Lord Jesus Christ, giver and perfecter of our faith, we thank and praise you for continuing among us the preaching of your gospel for our instruction and edification. Send your blessing upon the word, and by your Holy Spirit increase our saving knowledge of you that day by day we may be strengthened in the divine truth and remain steadfast in your grace. Give us strength to fight the good fight, and by faith to overcome all the temptations of Satan, the flesh and the world. We pray this in your holy name.
1: Reading from 2 Peter verses 1 or 1 verses 12, 2 to 3. So I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories When we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from the God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. The Word of the Lord.
0: So, the video sermon that uh, we will hear this morning comes to us from Reverend Henry Veldboom from uh, Granham CRC Church. It was recorded at Covenant CRC Church.
2: Peter writes this letter near the end of his life. In verse 14 he says, I will soon put aside the tent of my body. He's going to physically die and his soul will leave his body and he knows this because Jesus Christ has revealed that his death was imminent. Knowing that he's at the end of his life, he knows that he's almost out of time. And with that precious little time that he has left, what is he going to do? Well, He does what is important. Peter takes the final moments of his life to write to Christians. And what does he write about? He writes to defend the apostles' claim that the Scriptures, the Word of God, is true. In fact, Peter reminds the Christian church of what he's taught before. In this part of the letter, at least, he's repeating himself, and that's something that pastors are warned not to do. Be careful not to repeat yourself. I might do that, so forgive me. But Peter did it, so I can too. Why did Peter feel the urgency to defend the truth of Scripture with his last breaths? Why spend these last moments repeating what Christians already know? Well, he tells us, because false teachers were attacking the church and attacking the truth. Peter talks about these false teachers in chapter 2. Let me read the, those verses again. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. The only way to defend against the lies of false teachers is to know the truth. And so Peter reminds the Christians what is truth and where they can find it. He doesn't want to let Christians or want the Christians to let their guard down. He says, find the truth, and it's in God's word. The truth of God's word must be repeated. Why? Because that's how we learn. That's a pretty pragmatic reason. We learn through repetition. But most importantly, the truth of God must be repeated because the truth is always under assault, under attack. And to make Christians. Sh- To make sure that the Christians will have this truth when he's gone, Peter writes this letter. It's amazing, isn't it? Peter never could have imagined that this letter would last 2,000 years, that it would be read by millions of Christians throughout time. Peter wrote these words to his generation, but God has been speaking through Peter ever since. For God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Peter to write these words. And so these aren't just Peter's words. They are God's words to us today. Critics, unbelievers, but as also people within the church. They reduce God's words simply to be uh, ideas of ignorant, unenlightened people of centuries past. people Words of people like Peter, a common fisherman. Now we can expect this from unbelievers who are hostile to God's Word. But even teachers within the church think that Peter and Paul or whoever they disagree with, that they're irrelevant for Christians today. They say things like, oh, we have science and we have centuries of progressive learning in psychology and sociology. We know better than they do. And because we're so much smarter than the biblical writers, We know how God really wants us to live, what behaviors are okay and what's not okay. What would Peter say to us if he was with us today? He'd say exactly what he writes here in this letter. Beware of those with cleverly invented stories. In verse 16 he says that. He says, beware of those who introduce seductive heresies. In verse 1 of chapter 2. Peter's ancient words are God's word to us today. We still need Peter's reminder because the church is still under attack. And Peter predicts that this would happen in verse in chapter 2, that we, the verses we just read, that false teachers, they were in the church then, and he says they will come, and they're still coming. They're still in the church promoting lies, promoting godless living and immorality. In chapter 2, verse 10, Peter talks about people who will be judged for following the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despising authority. We have leaders in the church and within the CRC, too, who teach that it's okay to follow the desires of the sinful nature. We have teachers who despise the authority of the Bible and of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our King. Jesus Christ, the Lord and King, demands that we live holy, God-honoring, Bible-obeying lives. We're not to accommodate the church to the world's cleverly invented stories and seductive heresies. So what lies were the false teachers promoting in Peter's day? In short, they were teaching the opposite of God's truth. In verse 16, Peter says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories, when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's what Paul or Peter and the others were not doing, that's what the false teachers were doing. They were creating clever stories, myths about the Lord Jesus. He says the false teachers deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. These false teachers were heretics. They were denying Christ's divine authority. They denied that Jesus would come again to judge all humans for their Actions, good and bad. Why deny Christ's authority? Why deny Christ's return as judge of the human race? Because then people can live as they want to. There's no fear of sin. If God, the Lord Jesus, the judge, is made uh, powerless. But Peter tells the truth. Jesus Christ appeared in power as the uncreated Son of God. And Jesus Christ, the Almighty, he promised to return in power and he will come to judge the earth. Christ's first coming was not a myth and Christ's second coming is also not a myth. Peter doesn't just say this and then move on. He gives proof. And the first element of proof that he offers that Jesus had come in power but would return in the same way was his eyewitness experience. Think of Peter. Peter. He's almost going to die. He's not going to die for a lie. He won't waste his dying breast promoting a fantasy, a myth. No, Peter finishes his life defending the truth that he witnessed with his own eyes. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the event that Peter's talking about, he describes in verse 17. He says, Christ Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Peter's thinking to Christ's transfiguration. He's remembering that glorious event. We can't even imagine what Peter experienced that day. But he's not the only eyewitness who saw Christ being transfigured. He says, we were eyewitnesses. We heard the voice from heaven. We were with Jesus on that holy, sacred mountain. So it's not just Peter's word. Others can confirm the truth claims that he's making here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that record Christ's transfiguration in their Gospels, and all three of them say that Peter, James, and John witnessed Christ's transfiguration. In Jewish law, one witness was not enough three eyewitnesses were needed to testify to an event or some truth claim for it to be considered true. It's no coincidence that Jesus took three men with him to witness his transfiguration. But what's so important about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ that Peter reminds the Christians here with his final breath? While the transfiguration revealed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, The anointed one sent by God, the king of God's kingdom, and the ruler of the universe. When Christ came to earth, he took on a human body. It covered up his divine glory. But in his transfiguration, Jesus' glory just bursts out of his humanness. John writes this, he confirms this in his gospel. He says, Christ Jesus, the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. He might have been referring to the transfiguration. I think he was. The transfiguration revealed that God, or that Jesus was God himself. Peter goes on giving proof. He says, not only did Peter, James, and John, did we see Jesus as the Son of God, we heard it with our ears. We heard God say, behold, this is my Son whom I love. The transfiguration proved that Jesus was God Messiah, and King. It also foreshadowed how Jesus would return in his second coming. The phrase, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, is used in the New Testament to refer to the day of Christ's return. The false prophets denied Christ's divine nature. They denied that he would even come back. But Peter, nearing the end of his life, defends the truth. Christ Jesus is God who will return in His glory as the King and Judge of the creation. We as humans better be prepared. Now Peter doesn't stop yet with his experiential eye and ear witness defense of the truth. He reaches back into the Old Testament, the Old Hebrew Scriptures to defend the truth that he's proclaiming. He knows that the Scriptures are the ultimate source of truth. In verse 19 he says, What Peter, James, and John saw and heard, the prophets foretold. Peter says, look, we may have experienced Christ revealing his glory as a sign of his promised return, but the prophets, they said this would happen. The prophets of the Old Testament, their prophecies were fulfilled in the New Testament. To understand the Old Testament better, we need to read and believe the New Testament. But to understand why things happen as they do in the New Testament, we need to read and believe the Old Testament. That's what Peter's getting at when he says, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. The false teachers lied, saying, Jesus is not the real deal. He's not the Messiah. Peter refutes that lie, saying, don't just take our word, take God's prophet's word as testimony, that God's Messiah would appear and would return And that Messiah is none other than Jesus Christ. Well, today, so-called wise people in the church try to discredit God's Word, Old and New Testament. People in the church try to cleverly explain away God's decrees for living. People try to cloud and obscure God's clear teachings in both the Old and the New Testament. We need to be on guard for this corruption of God's Word. The Bible is God's immutable, inerrant word. It's as relevant and as as applicable and authoritative today as it was when God inspired the people to write it. We have the benefit of over 2,000 years of Christians faithfully reading the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. I'll give you an example of some faithful biblical study. And as I saw in the opening announcements You have heard of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was trained as an investigative journalist. He knew how to find and evaluate evidence. He was good, very good, at deciphering lies from facts. You'll see that in the movie if you come and watch it. As an unbeliever, Strobel set out to prove that the Bible was nothing but lies. He believed it was written by a bunch of people who invented very clever stories. But as the evidence for the Bible's truth claims mounted, Lee Strobel, he could not ignore the facts. He finally determined that what the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true, and he came to faith in Jesus. Now I gave the movie away, but you can read his story in the book, Case for Christ, which is also a movie. Strobel notes that there are over 60 major Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ the Messiah. 700 plus years pass after la- the last prophecies and then Jesus comes to earth. Jesus fulfills every one of those 60 major prophecies and many m- minor prophecies as well. Strobel writes, The mathematical probability of one person fulfilling just eight 700-year-old prophecies prophecies—it's one in hundred million billion. That's one followed by 17 zeros. Now how's that for scientific method supporting Scripture? Jesus fulfilling over 60 Old Testament prophecies, it's not a coincidence. It's not a chance. No human could dream something like that up. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus says, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, the Old Testament. The Old Testament Scriptures speak about Jesus, He fulfills them, and He proves that God's Word is true. And if God's Word is true and faithful, and a person says they believe in the Bible, then God's Word must be authoritative in their life. They can't pick and choose. All of God's Word must guide how we live. For if God's Word is true, then we must allow it to challenge the world and challenge our beliefs and actions. Peter tells Christians, pay attention to what the prophets wrote. We also must pay attention to what the Old Testament prophets wrote. It's not a throwaway part of the Bible. No, the Old Testament with the New Testament, it is God's light that shines in the darkness. The word of the Lord is light for our hearts and our souls that are darkened by sin. The more we read and follow God's word, the more our lives are illuminated. The more we let scripture speak into our lives, the more we will walk in the light of God. Reading the Bible, the scriptures, is not firstly about gaining intellectual wisdom. Reading scripture is about reconditioning our hearts. We read God's Word so that our hearts get in tune with His heart. Accepting Jesus as Lord must lead to transformation, or we really haven't accepted God's Word, we haven't accepted Jesus Christ if there's no change in us. Our hearts must turn from sin and to the Lord more and more. This is repentance. Salvation from sin, it cannot be completed without our hearts shifting from the world's ways to God's ways. That's why Jesus said, repent and believe. We often forget that first part. We simply say, oh, just believe in Jesus and everything will be fine. Go on and live your own life. That's not true. One day all who repent from sin and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will have their hearts and their lives fully illuminated, fully transformed by the Word of God. That day is the day of Christ's return. When Jesus comes again, all Christians, true Christians, will be transformed into his likeness. Every trace of sin and brokenness that we experience now, it will be gone. We will be filled with the truth. Peter speaks of this too when he says, Pay attention to the light of God's word until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The day is the day of the Lord, the morning star, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus calls himself the morning star in the revelation that he gave to John, chapter 22, verse 16. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. When we come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord through the work of the Holy Spirit, we see the light. And when we we receive the light who is Jesus Christ and give our lives to Him, then we receive life, eternal life. False teachers keep people in the dark. They obscure who Jesus is. They cloud people's minds with clever teaching about salvation. In Martin Luther's day, the Roman church peddled cleverly invented teachings. The Roman church distorted the gospel of salvation by grace. They made salvation contingent on good works that they dreamed up. And the corrupt church leaders said that they could dispense or withhold salvation from the people. As an obedient monk, Luther followed the rules of the church to a T. He did everything the church told him to do. And still he could not get rid of that guilt that he had because of his sin. Then one day, by God's grace, Luther got a hold of a Greek Bible. He noticed the glaring contradictions between the original Greek Scriptures and the Latin Bible that the church was teaching. He discovered many lies were being taught by the church. He discovered that Scripture taught only one thing can save humans from the consequences of their sin. God's grace grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When Luther read God's word about salvation, he received his life back. He said, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. God's word did that. It gave Luther his life back. God's word provided the way for him to deal with his sin and his death problem. Way back in Genesis, we learn that God teaches or creates through His Word, He simply speaks and everything comes into existence. The New Testament teaches us that God's Word made flesh recreates life in people who are dead because of their sin. Creation and recreation, they happen through God's Word. And we know God's Word when we know Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Luther taught the truth of Scripture He boldly refuted the lies of the church. We celebrate what he began there on Reformation Day. He was a threat to the false religion being passed off as Christianity. So the church, knowing he was a threat, warned him, deny, recant your writings, but Luther refused. He said this to his interrogators, unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I will not recant, because my conscience is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. We can certainly learn from Christians of the past, as long as their teachings are true to the Scriptures. Tradition is helpful for Christian living, but only when it is healthy tradition. Tradition is healthy when it draws us closer to Jesus Christ our source of light, and our source of life. We don't have to discard all tradition, because healthy tradition helps exalt Jesus Christ. It promotes the gospel of salvation in Jesus. And so our Christian creeds, our confessions, our catechisms, they are part of our church's healthy traditions, as long as they keep the Scripture central, and they keep Jesus central in number one place. Peter writes his letter with a sense of urgency. He knows that God's truth is at stake in the church and he will defend God's truth with his dying breath. Luther and the reformers who followed him, they spoke and taught with an urgency too. They also knew that God's truth was at stake in the church. Many of them died defending God's truth. The church today needs to regain that sense of urgency for defending and promoting God's truth. We must let Scripture speak by speaking Scripture. We need another reformation, especially here in the Western world. We need a revival of true gospel preaching. Our world denies that there is absolute truth, and so the world then promotes relative truth. It says, We each can determine what's true for ourselves. That's a bold-faced lie. But people in the church are believing that lie. God tells each one of us, My word is truth. Jesus comes to us today and He says, I am the truth. Do we hear what God is saying? Do we hear Jesus in His declaration that He is the truth? I hope so. May God's word of truth speak into the church and to in each one of our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, your word was inspired by you to be written so long ago. And so many today want to discard your word as being irrelevant. But your word is immutable, inerrant, and everlasting, for it comes from you the everlasting God of creation. We thank You, Lord, for the way Your Word just brought things into being. And we thank You most especially for Jesus Christ, Your Word in the flesh, the One who came to live the life we could not live, who died the death that we deserve, but who was raised up Lord of life. We thank You, Lord, for the victory that Jesus has won on our behalf. Keep our hearts focused on Him, set on Him. Keep our eyes attuned to His coming, Lord. May we not get complacent. May we be strong defenders of the truth, Your Word, the Bible. And may we proclaim it, whether from a pulpit or across a kitchen table, Lord. May we proclaim Your Word boldly, calling each other into right relationship with You through repentance and through belief in Jesus Christ and the Word written about Him. Lord, hear our prayers. For we pray them in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.